0: Look out. Surging up from the depths of the sea. Horrifying, mysterious creatures whose attack on people sends the whole countryside on an endless search. Unless something is done and done quickly. Is this the end
1: of our civilization? You
2: will pioneer with us the perilous descent into the unknown.
0: What does that mean? What
3: are you even talking about? A deep, penetrating
4: dive.
0: In the last calm and reflective moment before the monsters came from the deep Deep dive
1: welcome to the podcast humans the deep dive where we dig deep into the meanings and context of your favorite monsters and monster movies each episode we will see guests and myself give our take on an important movie monster and or film and what we think it means using everything from history and philosophy to films and folklore today we're looking into uh one of my favorite creatures in the in the bestiary uh one that i kind of wanted to wait to do on the show because i love it so much i wanted to not just you know check that box and then and move on forever uh we're doing werewolves and <laughs> we have them on the show <laughs> and then we also uh are bringing to you fine folks at home uh, a special guest today the one the only the illustrious molly henry molly say hi to the people
2: hello thank you so much for having me
1: yeah it's a it's a it's a pleasure uh the topic was her idea and we've all been kind of like itching to do it um you know as werewolves are known to do itch things uh (laughs) so um i'm pumped and fans of the show uh can find us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Podbean, uh, wherever your podcasts are served, which you know cuz you found us now. <laughs> um I'm your host Jeff Ewing. I'm a critic and entertainment journalist. Uh, I run this fantastic show and if it's monsters, I'm obsessed with it and I'm pleased to introduce that we have we have a full house today. We have uh, Mike Vaughn, we have Andre Couture, we have Luna and we have the illustrious molly we have literally every cool person on a podcast right now is here on the show so so thank you everyone for stopping by the show today absolutely of course yeah so we're we're going to cover you know, there's so many really important werewolf films in in the canon ones that i love ones that we all love but today we're going to focus on two up front and then you know the conversation will just go where it goes we're going to talk about Ginger Snaps, one of the smartest lore-centric werewolf films ever. I love it. It's so great. And then we're going to talk about, you know, kind of a, a very different page in the werewolf book, which is uh, uh, Dog Soldiers, the sort of Irish werewolf classic to kind of cover some very different, relatively modern interpretations of the uh, the bestiary. Uh, so before we start... Um, does anyone have any uh, particular favorite werewolf films?
3: Oh my gosh, where do I start? That's I love funny. so many of them. <laughs> um, oh, you put me on the spot, even though I knew we were doing this episode. <laughs> <laughs> I do have to say that um, one of my very, 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 very favorite ones, and I've talked about it on the show before, is Good Manners. Ooh, that's yeah. a great one. Um, and uh, all the moons, more recently, are probably mm. my two favorite werewolf that's movies. Awesome. But I'm sure like someone else is going to say something and be like, yeah, 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 that one too. So
0: there's the um, like the big two from 1981, which Mike and I have talked about on another show before. American Werewolf in London, which is like a, a pretty big classic, and uh, the Howling as well. And like those two have a relatively similar depiction of werewolves. Like mm-hmm. it, it's not anything like revolutionary, groundbreaking in terms of uh, a presentation of the myth, but they have their own like directorial styles. Those definitely have a, a big place in the spotlight for sure.
1: Totally. I, I love American Werewolf in London. I know. Um, it's just like so interesting what it does with the curse and the different aspects of the, 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 the characters' dreams. It's just, um, it's an excellently complex film, I think, and it's it's really one of my favorites too.
3: Agreed. See, I told you I'd like more than just those two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: um, so many good ones. Um, so uh, let's start with Ginger Snaps. Editorial note: and can cut that out. Um, so Ginger Snaps. Uh, just to briefly summarize it, and then anyone can kind of build off this if they want it's the there there's these two sisters uh ginger and bridget who are incredibly close and they're kind of outcasts in their school um they're very horror obsessed they're gore obsessed they uh have this hilarious project where it's literally just pictures of them like they died i don't know um (laughs) it's awesome characters and so in in this little like relatively small suburban town and ginger has her um first period um and on that same night she's attacked by a creature that's been kind of terrorizing the town so uh this is gonna surprise everyone at home but she um it's a werewolf that attacks her um, surprise <laughs> <laughs> that's what we're talking about today and then um so she becomes gradually um infected with, with lycanthropy and it changes her completely and it's such it's such a brilliant film very suspenseful great ending um and and like always i kind of wanted to start by giving our own personal reviews so um you know, Molly, would you like to start given that you are our guest for this episode?
2: Sure, um, I should also probably warn people ahead of time that this is probably my favorite horror film of all time. I'm kind of obsessed with it. Uh, I have in my office right now, I have a poster of it I have portraits of ginger and Bridget that I had commissioned from an artist. I have a tattoo based on the film. Like (laughs) I really love this movie. (laughs) Um, So I might be somewhat biased when I'm talking about it. And I actually, I love all three of the, I love the whole trilogy, but obviously Mm -hmm. the first one is the best. Um, But what I love about it, there, there are two things. One that I love the relationship between the sisters and how it shows that relationship change, because the whole point is that they're using the lycanthropy as a metaphor for, be, quote unquote, becoming a woman or going through mm-hmm. puberty, however you want to word it. And there's so many correlations between the transformations, what, what a young woman goes through ver- versus what the werewolf goes through. So I love how they do that comparison and how they show the sisters grow apart as one of them is growing up and the other one hasn't gone through this transition yet. And I also Mm -hmm. love that they make it more biological. Because I feel like so much werewolf lore is rooted in mysticism, which is great. I I love that as well, because I love werewolves in general. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But I love in this that Especially since they're making the connection to her going through puberty, it it works so well that it's they make it a biological process. Like it's not where she's changing on the full moon and then she turns back afterwards. It's a very long, gradual process where she is turning into a werewolf, and once she turns, she's not going to turn back. And I yeah. love that it's and like all the different ways that they incorporate that and the characters of fantastic. I just love everything about this film. <laughs>
1: I know it's um and one thing I'll I'll talk about a little bit in my review, but uh, a teaser is that um, I love how there's so much of a use of werewolf lore in film where it's a metaphor for puberty and changing bodies, and uh, this is the first one that I'm aware of that's that's very good and that focuses on on women as a metaphor for women, and I think like the way that they do that is so smart. That, it's a joy to watch. Mm -hmm. Um, Thank you so much. Out of five stars, would you give it a five?
2: I always have a hard time giving a star rating because I am so incredibly biased. Generally, I would say, yes, five out of five. But there's just one scene in this film that I wish that they had cut out because it's so bad. (laughs) And For anyone who's seen the film, it's when she meets... Ginger, I should specify which character. No, Bridget, sorry. God. Um, When Bridget is going to try to help her sister and she runs into the guy that her sister slept with and he's like terrorizing the little kid in the cow costume. Oh, yeah. The way that shot is filmed reminds me of an episode of Goosebumps. Something about the framing and the camera angles and it's just, it does not fit with the rest of the film and I wish they had cut it. I understand why it's there for context, but I hate it. (laughs) So if okay. that scene was gone, it would be a perfect five out of five for me.
1: Getting real. I love it. Uh, <laughs> that's perfect. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Um, damn it, filmmakers. Stop having random dudes terrorize children. In, in cow costumes. <laughs> in cow costumes, specifically. <laughs> like that tired trope. No more of that. <laughs> thank you so much. Uh, now, Luna, uh, I, I'd love for your review next because I know that you are a big fan of werewolf cinema and uh, I am—I really want to hear your thoughts.
3: Absolutely. I am a big fan of werewolves um, and I actually have another podcast where our entire se- second season, which is still happening, <laughs> it's been happening for like a year, <laughs> <laughs> it's just about werewolves. Um, but I, when it comes to this film much like Molly. I adore it. I don't have a tattoo on my body, though, but that could still happen. Um, it's never we're all too late. getting group tattoos.
1: Yeah, we're all getting group <laughs> tattoos to commemorate the episode.
3: Yeah. No, I, I genuinely think that, I, like, the first time I watched this film, I, I was floored. Like, I just it absolutely brought me both to the heavens and straight down to the earth at the same time. I was just like, how did someone write this? And I didn't know about it until now. (laughs) It was, um, it was an amazing experience to see this depiction of transformation and puberty uh, with this horror element and the, the body horror specifically just how fucking weird it is when your body's changing. And then there's this like link to to sex and mm-hmm. death and murder and I was just like Yes I do wanna murder people sometimes. <laughs> um no <laughs> but, well, sometimes but, folks, no sometimes. worries.
1: Sometimes on occasion.
3: <laughs> no, I just thought that uh that the fact that it went there with how her body was transforming, but then also her psyche and her mood. And I thought that it was, it was very real despite it being so outlandish, right? That like, no, mm-hmm. no, we're not running around sprouting tails. Like this isn't actually happening to every woman.
1: Mm-hmm. However,
3: <laughs> I just identified really well with the characters and their, you know, general morbid sense of being and then um, the depiction of her becoming a werewolf and the effect that it had on her relationships and who she was as a person uh, or creature for that matter. Mm -hmm. And um, so, I mean, I could go on and on about it, but I would say that in the werewolf movie realm it's a five out of five in mm-hmm. the in the broader cinematic universe. It's mm-hmm. probably a four point five um, because there are a couple flaws, but I I do think that it's an incredible werewolf movie, must see, very important uh, for especially gender and film.
1: Absolutely. Um thank you so much for that because I I definitely agree. Um and and we'll get to why I agree so much, but I I definitely think it's a a smart and thematically rich movie and I mean the performances are good by and large. Uh it's definitely I I love this subgenre of horror cinema and I would say it's it's easily one of my f- absolute favorites.
3: And I would like to add one mm-hmm. thing, if I may. Um, the... The fact... So, at the time, right, the, the, the time when this movie was put out, like, this is definitely, like, the journey into her womanhood, right? Yeah. Um, through, like, a more modern lens and a more, you know, socially... Um, Oh, literate. That's, it's like what? What is this word? Um, like a socially literate lens. Like really, I mean, it does stand for puberty. And what the fuck is womanhood? So like, I, dude, is this a, a movie about womanhood? You can argue that it is more of a biological change um, mm-hmm. than it is a gender change, mm-hmm. uh, and it is equally horrific in that context. Um, So I think that it is amazing that this movie continues to stand up um, as we learn more about gender as a society.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it's, uh, it's both, it's so interesting to watch the characters deal with Ginger's, you know, new, increasingly like evolving discovery of her new self. And, uh, uh, I, I really like how that's handled and I think, um, well, we'll, we'll get to what I think soon enough, but, um, absolutely. I think it's, um, it's so interesting that it still works because, you know, it's, it's over 20 years old, but it's still just so smartly done that it, it
4: continues to matter. So, um, yeah, I also really love the movie. Um, I'm trying to think what to add because everyone kind of summed it up really nicely. Um, yeah, I would just echo that it's kind of incredible, um, how, um, I, I, I was racking my brain trying to think about like any other sort of like past movie or like literature that really talked about, um, you know, werewolves as sort of a metaphor for um you know womanhood coming Mm -hmm. of age um you know certainly like werewolves have always kind of been a metaphor for um i guess puberty um like the going through the change but usually you see that more with like um cis males um i guess yeah so um yeah. So it's kind of amazing to have somebody that sort of um, actually put it together, um, you know, with um, women. And I, I think that's so interesting, but also again, it's like something that like, when you think about it, you're like, wow, like that's so obvious. Why has nobody ever really done that before? Um, I mean, maybe they have, but it wasn't that notable, but I, I, Can honestly say that like i've never seen a a, another piece of media like tackle uh like the werewolfism like Mm -hmm. this so you know and and it's really entertaining i mean it's it kind of works on two different levels like it works as a really nice fun horror movie but then also again it gives you something deeper um The acting is fantastic. Um, You can really tell that the cast um, get along perfectly. Um, Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I feel like it pretty much, you know, fires on all cylinders. Yeah, it's a little rough around the edges. Um, I think that this is probably um, the filmmakers' maybe first film. Um, That I'm aware
1: of. Um, Which is
4: really impressive because... You know, it is a movie that still, I think, holds up really well. Um, even with maybe, like, some, you know, awkward plotting a little bit. And, um, as Molly mentioned, uh, a little bit of, like, um, tonal dissonance. But, um, yeah, overall, it's really good. I mean, again, it's so impressive that a relatively new filmmaker, um actually did something really interesting with you know let's face it there's like for every few good werewolf movies there's like a ton that are like really bad um Mm -hmm. so you know it's it's a tricky thing to pull off anyways but the fact that it's still beloved and talked about um i think really like says it all
1: Absolutely, it's interesting too because it's a. The director is John Fawcett, and he uh, did have a prior feature, but it wasn't horror or anything. So this is his first foray into horror, and his second feature, and it's just good. It's smart.
4: Yeah, and again, um, I think we kind of take for granted that, um, like, you know, uh, it, it takes a while for a a director to really get polished, like, Mm -hmm. um, but to have somebody like almost practically right out of the gate, um, doing something really this memorable, um, is, is pretty remarkable. Like, um, you really don't often see that, like, you know, somebody that has such an interesting and singular take on a genre that usually doesn't happen. Um, you know, throughout uh, anyone's career, entire career, let alone their like second film. So
1: yeah, I love it. I appreciate that, Mike. Thank you so much, um, Andre. Last but never least, uh, what are your what are your thoughts, good sir?
4: Yeah,
0: um, I, I mean, I'm, I'm certainly not going to be an outlier here uh, in terms of the film. But it definitely blew me away, and it's it's just one of those uh, movies that go in a in a direction that other werewolf stories and movies uh, surprisingly hadn't until then. And actually um, still is kind of the only one that still stands out uh, as being so like creatively radical. Uh, and like, not only does it have like these, these allegories and themes of like puberty becoming a woman uh, and like a like in its own way, a unique fostering of said womanhood, um, where obviously the, the allegory here is um, transforming into a werewolf, uh, unbeknownst to these to these girls. But for for these two characters, Ginger and Bridget, um, I don't think a, a better thing thematically could happen to them, especially with their uh, their fascination with death, like the, the mm-hmm. almost Harold and Maude ish. Uh, like obsession with like the the photo projects and um, their their prowess with makeup and effects, which um, I I think was kind of a theme that didn't fully realize throughout the film. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's that's like a minor nitpick for me. Um, mm-hmm. I I found the the allegory is mixed really really well with um what the director was saying about um like the drug epidemic in the early 2000s which was actually pretty front-loaded um the the werewolf in the movie that like is terrorizing the the area is actually run over by the drug dealer's van which i found to be kind of like a an interesting um almost lead into how drugs would be seen later Mm -hmm. on in the film. Um, And there's also this aspect of an almost uh, like an uncontrollable shark-like nature to like the werewolf's appetite and satiation Mm -hmm. where the thing that attracts the werewolf to Ginger, I think is because she's under period, the werewolf smells the blood in the air. It's like supremely mm-hmm. shark-like, and then just be makes a beeline for her and infects mm-hmm. her. And then from there, you have like these themes of uh, like biological viral symptoms and transmission, and it, mm-hmm. it does. It's almost like like a perfect post-AIDS allegory too, or like. Uh, Debilitating, debilitating STDs and um, social stigma that comes with that, especially with the now that you're out of puberty dot 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 stage. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very much like a visceral reaction to uh, like these after school specials, like sexual health, <laughs> like warning videos, and basically everything that any public school would ever teach kids, other than like actual real <laughs> sexual hygiene like anything where you don't have to mention that condoms ex-
1: exist <laughs> <laughs> yeah we're uh, we're secretly reviewing um school's sex ed programs where they're just like sex don't have it it makes you bad like oh that's all you got okay
0: i wouldn't be surprised if there was like an original scene where um there was uh, an actual sex ed class i'm like they were gonna do like that talk And they probably ended up not doing it, um, which might have been a better pickup scene than the, uh, the cow costume bit. (laughs) But, you know, uh, I I think it's no secret that I really, really like this movie. Uh, It's, it's definitely an all timer in terms of Mm -hmm. um, not just horror, but like the, the body horror aspect of transforming into another creature. Um, Almost vampire-like in ways, but yeah. with the, the animalistic instinct to just completely transform, where your uh, mental capacities are just totally overridden by this uh, monstrous or animalistic or maybe both need to just rip some guy's fucking throat out. And I respect Sometimes that. Yeah,
1: I mean that's literally just science. <laughs> <laughs> uh would you uh would you and i i think i didn't ask mike either uh would, how many stars would you give it oh
0: you know what um th- this is a four and a half for me cool
1: yeah appreciate that uh mike uh what about you good sir
4: uh yeah i'd probably also give it like a four and a half
1: love it um yeah. Th- thank you all so much for your, your commentary. Uh, you've mentioned all of the smart things that I wanted to say. So now that I'm left with the the dregs of my own mind, um, uh, I, I will just add that one of the reasons other, one of the reasons that I love the film other than it just being so um, smartly directed and performed, it's just a good film, but uh, I mean I I love werewolf cinema I love uh the wolfman um huge fan of the subgenre but the whole uh lycanthropy as puberty uh trajectory with I was a teenage werewolf and stuff I mean uh, teen wolf those are fun but it's a super shallow treatment of of that intellectual connection right where it's just like oh well, when a guy has puberty, they get hair. So werewolves. Um and it's lazy and stupid and boring and it doesn't make sense. But from a folklore perspective though, I love that like what this film, I love that it was doing something that shouldn't have been new but that, that was and I also also think it's such a smart analogy for you know, puberty for for young women because like mythologically you know the associations with the moon and a lot of other aspects it's like it's like a no-brainer and then somehow this was the first film series film and film series to actually like figure that out and i think it's in my perspective well handled overall minus you know like a few relatively new filmmaker glitches i guess with some things that could be honed but as a whole, it's great. Uh, I also love that being infected with lycanthropy changes Ginger's whole persona. It's not just like she's herself and there's a moon, like y'all mentioned. And then uh, she's otherwise normal. Like it literally changes her being until it changes her completely. And that's super just cool And the way that it's handled is smart. Um, so I would say probably four and a half for me too, because um, uh, you all are very persuasive, and I don't have opinions of my own. So, um, <laughs> but yeah, such a good film. I've watched it so many times, and it always holds up. Um, and I I appreciate all your thoughts. Uh, thank you for making this show look good, even if I no longer have anything to say. <laughs>
3: I mean, and I also think like before we move on, I just I urge to jump in. And so I'm going to um, Thank <laughs> well, thanks for having me back on the show. Um, okay, So I, I think that like you, as you mentioned, there's that like teen wolf puberty, et cetera, that it's, it's been done. It happens. Mike mm-hmm. men- mentioned it's typically with cis men and, one of the things that makes this film so striking is that there is this aspect of becoming a woman specifically in our gender politics and society where you, you're supposed to have this shame, like what's happening to your body is, is, is supposed to be quiet. It's not supposed Mm -hmm. to happen in public. It's not supposed to be known. Um, you know, it's this, I mean, mothers have typically, mothers have this conversation with their young girls mm. about what's happening. And it's, it's very, like, sometimes the dad is involved, but rarely, you know, for a long time, um, mm-hmm. is involved in that conversation. There's usually that, like, awkward, like, oh, uh, your daughter got her period. And the dad is typically, like okay and and that's like, want to talk about this yeah but here it's like it kind of tackles that uh the repression that's f- felt of like as you're going through puberty or as you're becoming a mm-hmm. woman that your body is changing and you have urges right mm-hmm. like like sex is becoming really fucking enticing right <laughs> Mm -hmm. like as you're becoming a woman and guys get to run around and fuck everything. Right. But girls are just as horny and don't get the same treatment in society where Mm -hmm. like you're a slut or you're showing too much cleavage or whatever, you know, dress codes. We, we all, we've had these conversations on -hmm. and offline many, many, many times. And I think that this film is, a wonderful like catharsis um at least for me when i was watching it of Mm -hmm. like yeah fuck you like yeah we 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 want to fuck too and we also want to drink your blood no not really i mean maybe (laughs) sometimes eat your throat (laughs) i mean yeah sometimes (laughs) but yeah sometimes
1: a person has a throat and it's emitting so many obnoxious sounds it belongs (laughs) in my teeth Sometimes. Sometimes. Just saying. I don't want to rule it out. <laughs> uh,
3: but yeah. So I just. I really applaud this film. And I think. I want to give credit to the screenwriter. I mean. Obviously mm-hmm. to the writer or director. But also the screenwriter for. Um, bringing it to life. In this way that gave power to the girls. Uh, mm-hmm. I could see how this. Film. Could have gone another direction even though the intent was there. Yeah. And I think that having a woman as the screenwriter w- may have been a key factor in how this how prolific this film became. So.
2: Oh, for yeah. sure. I I actually was able to interview Karen Walton, the screenwriter <gasps> about this film. She's amazing, by the way. <laughs>
1: Yay, that's um, awesome. Surprising.
2: But she just it was really interesting having her talk about the film because she was saying she was not really into horror before signing on to this project. It was never really her genre. Um, but John Fawcett convinced her to join. And it, it was definitely very collaborative. John Fawcett had a lot of input and helped with the writing process, but she also did a ton of research. Like she watched films like Beautiful Creatures to kind of get a better idea of the dynamics between young women and being able to show them as being girls but also show that there is a very dangerous side to young girls and especially when they go through puberty mm-hmm. whether or not there's lycanthropy involved or not like there there's a danger that young women have that I feel like a lot of people overlook because we're supposed to hide these aspects of ourselves and so mm. it just she's I think that she was pivotal in making Ginger Snaps what it is, even though she does, even when I interviewed her, she gave so much credit to the people that she worked with on the film. But I I think that she definitely is the heart of this film and it shows, and it, it was very smart of John Fawcett to bring her onto the project. That's
1: amazing. Yeah. That's lovely. I mean, cause yeah. here's the thing. If you have a, Uh, a horror film that uses you know lycanthropy as a metaphor for uh puberty for girls and the director is a guy like it should be shitty (laughs) like it should be like not nuanced and you would think like where does that insight come from but yeah i agree with you like it's she she her script is good you know like there might be some some different scenes like we've touched on that maybe. You know, could have been eliminated, but as a whole, it's really nuanced and insightful.
0: And there's the there's an aspect too where uh, the screenwriter, not basically, kind of a neophyte in terms of horror, um, because she brings these uh, these different societal lens. Um, mm-hmm. You know, um, a lot of people who don't know very much about horror kind of think of it as like a one note genre in terms of how it portrays everything narratively, like everything's supposed to be scary, bloody, loud, you know, uh, brash almost. But um, anyone who's spent any amount of time either creating or enjoying the genre will tell you that that's only like a minor aspect of it. Mm-hmm. And the the true horror that comes through is exactly these uh, societal situations, uh, political lens, um, everything under the sun, basically, that gets turned into like a comparison or a juxtaposition of of these different themes and arguments. And um, th- there's no better way to look at the themes in this movie than the way um, that she writes into. And I, I think um, really understood something that, uh, in a lot of horror masterpieces, the, the instrumental part that informs the horror, um, can pretty much be approached not as an afterthought, but as like the final ingredient to something. And that's exactly what happens here. Um, so it was, I I don't want to say accidental, but it was like an unintended masterpiece in that regard.
1: Mm, hmm um yeah, absolutely I think um honestly I just keep uh there there's nothing smart that I can say that you find folks have not already said, but um but I just think that it's uh so interesting and nuanced, and the whole series is really good, um the third one's obviously very different, but as a whole, they're all really you know stunningly executed and they continue to try new things and i really appreciate that
4: i Uh, will say also just to add it's kind of interesting to think about like when the first movie was made um with like these outsiders and you know this comes a year after columbine which yeah i think i mean it's it kind of captures that sort of feeling of like being the other quote-unquote in in high school um like you know the the two leads um ginger and bridget i mean they would definitely probably probably be like labeled as somebody Mm -hmm. that might do something like that um yeah you know unfairly labeled um i'm sure but like it's, I don't know. I mean, it's a little bit morbid to think about, but you can't kind of think about a movie that came out like a year after that and how it echoes some of that. Um, Yeah. Especially with like some of the the teenagers um, getting killed essentially by a classmate. So,
1: yeah, I know. Like, I, I feel like that's a, it'd be a hard plot to get, you know, greenlit these days. Uh, but I still think that you're right. The 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 treatment of that sort of topic and the timeliness is um, definitely a strength given how it's handled, and I think being kind of wrapped in genre trappings is helpful. Um, and obviously, like I can't relate to being an outcast at all because I, you know, I was a popular kid. I have a monster podcast, so um, nothing screams I was a popular jock in high school like. I recreationally have a show devoted to mon- how cool monster movies are. Um, <laughs> but no, I, I, I think you're right. It's, it's great though, that, um, that it, it deals with some things that at the time, like exactly like you're saying, are, are so touchy, but that, I don't know. I feel like it handles them in just the right way when it could have gone like woefully off the tracks so i I do want to to pivot because we have another film that i want to briefly talk about um that has a very different approach to werewolves uh so it's uh the neil marshall classic dog soldiers which to kind of just uh, abruptly summarize so there's this kind of routine training mission in the scottish highlands and there's a squad of um (coughs) me coughing um there's a squad of of British soldiers who are going to rendezvous with a special ops unit. And instead they come upon a terrible massacre and a sole survivor. And they're, they're attacked by these things in the night and they, they rendezvous with this uh, zoologist who basically lets them know that what they're attacked uh, by are werewolves. So they have to, it's a survival, you know, kind of action horror film. Um, Real great. Um, Very different approach to, to similar subject manner. Um, Does anyone have uh, the desire to be the first reviewer?
4: Um, Yeah, I guess I, uh, I'll kick it off. Um, Yeah. So, um, Yeah. Dog Soldiers is another uh, film that is um, a perfect sort of blending of genres, Um, you know, with like Ginger Snaps, it's sort of like a coming of age movie um, and a monster film. Um, And then here, obviously you have like a really great action film that just happens to um, cross sex with a um, werewolf movie. So uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's always really difficult uh, when you're uh, blending genres, um, mm-hmm. especially ones that are so p- polar opposite. Um, it's like how you don't, it's so tricky to get a really good horror comedy, right? Because you have to have that yeah uh, blend or balance just right. And I, I think it might even be a little more difficult uh, to really get a good horror um action film but you know um you know marshall pulls it off really well it Mm -hmm. is a movie that uh builds uh incredibly well um the werewolves themselves look amazing um Mm -hmm. the characters aren't really that um like they give them some depth but um you know marshall understands that it's about the action it's about the set pieces it's about you know the monsters Mm -hmm. um you know and, and that's not to suggest the movies um vapid or shallow it's just um you know he definitely understands why we're here for the film um yeah and everything else is just icing on the cake. Cause I mean, we do get some good characterization. It's, it's um, definitely not as much or as deep as like ginger snaps um, mm-hmm. comparatively. Um, yeah, it's, it's pretty great. Um, it's a movie that I, again, isn't flawless, but it's one that um, pretty much anytime I can just turn on and switch off my brain and have a good time um yeah and again i i think we take it for granted but like meshing genres together is so extremely tricky to do mm.
1: um absolutely so
4: yeah it's a credit to the, the direction and the writing and um the effects that all work really well and um in tandem together
1: yeah absolutely uh how many stars would you give it
4: I would give it, um, probably four, um, out of five stars. Yeah. Cool. Stellar. Um, well, thank
1: you for your, for your thoughts. Um, yeah, I, I think it's definitely, um, you're, you're so right that it's it's very difficult to pull off a good genre bending film, especially because you, you have to balance competing tones, you know, and uh, it's so easy, like like Aliens, for example, is is a such a good film as like a, you know, it's an action horror, but, you know, it's a little bit heavy on the action. It's not nearly as scary as Alien, you know, uh, because it's so difficult, even in a really well executed film to really kind of land that. And I feel like Dog Soldiers does walk the line well
4: um yeah like i said it's got to have that like right balance of the action and the horror mm -hmm. and whenever you skew one to the other then it kind of doesn't work same with you know um horror and comedy you know you you know you want to have that mixture just right and it seems it seems easy it just seems like you know inject werewolves into an action sequence um yeah and again, it's it's really not like, you know, it, there really is a lot of nice setup and payoffs um, to get us into the, the horror element of it.
1: I love it. Thank you so much. Um, Luna, would you like to go next?
3: Sure thing. Uh, Thank you. Dog Soldiers is a great, fun film. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, I mean, I agree with everything that Mike was saying uh it really isn't as simple as being a werewolf action film and yet it it feels so natural um mm-hmm. and i mean there were definitely aspects of the film that's that feels like you know sci-fi channel movie however <laughs> i absolutely loved the like gritty tone um the The explosions were really bright and satisfying to the eye. Uh, The werewolf slaying aspect was fantastic. But one of my very favorite things about the film are the werewolves themselves Mm -hmm. being absolutely massive and imposing Mm -hmm. and strong. And I mean, they just looked great. Um, Mm -hmm. The lighting absolutely helped it was it was the perfect amount of darkness that made the werewolves like pretty scary um i love that they could just like jump through windows and do basically any chaos that they set their minds to mm-hmm. and the other my other favorite aspect of this film was the the werewolf pack aspect like this family um mm-hmm. the us them between this family and the others, uh, and the fact that they weren't necessarily evil—they were desperate and they were hungry—and um, mm-hmm. so I thought that uh, it was a brilliant film for those reasons. Yeah. Out of five, I would say that it's probably a four. There are some checkoff gun shit happening, but um, yeah, yeah, but it was. I, I extremely enjoyable and delightful to watch. So.
1: Absolutely. Uh, hey, thank you so much for your thoughts. Um, I definitely agree with you. I, I want to, you know, I'll, I'll talk about a little bit more in my own review, why I like the werewolf design so much, but in its era, it is a very uncommon werewolf design. Um, Cause you'd have like the standing, you know humanoid humanoid humanoid-esque uh werewolf from you know the wolfman and and some earlier classics but there's a there's a lot of different like um approaches to designing a werewolf and i love the fact that they make them so upright and imposing and um you can see the human lineage and just the design is really stellar and the execution is really stellar and uh thank you so much for bringing it up um uh, Andre, would you like to go? It's
0: interesting that we're we're going from Ginger Snaps to Dog Soldiers because Ginger Snaps is a very like internal werewolf movie where like your world is also the characters' world, um, mm-hmm. and you get that insight into like what they're going through. But with Dog Soldiers, uh, everything is very external, like almost as like well. Neil Marshall's reaction to uh, doing his werewolf movie a little differently is because I I think he said that he didn't want to focus on how like painful it is to be a werewolf, like with that torment because he had seen Mm -hmm. it so much. And like, even if you're just going by like the universal movies with the Wolfman, it is like painfully prevalent (laughs) almost. Mm -hmm. Um, But this works on so many different degrees of uh it's it's a platoon movie it's a werewolf movie yes but it's also a siege movie um Mm -hmm. and it has this aspect of the cabin in the woods which you know insert your movie here that uses that um and you know alien and aliens actually do use that format um Mm -hmm. it's just you know uh Positioned somewhere else, like in a science fiction narrative, but it has like this, this treatment about it that gives it a paranoia that I think um, film history and like horror film history has inherited from like Romero's Night of the Living Dead. And it it Mm. definitely uses that to its fullest extent. Even though, like some some parts, like Luna said, do kind of translate and read a little bit like a, a sci fi original movie in, in parts, <laughs> um, I, I think that just speaks to maybe the roughness of the production value that they had working uh, on the film, but mm-hmm. they use that to, um, it it's almost like presenting an opposite lens of uh, not just like toxic masculinity, but the, um, the, the idea of like these masculine figures um, acting on a role that they feel is thrusted upon them where Mm -hmm. they they have to do this thing, whether they like it or not. And they have to act this way. Um, When like you get some sobering moments in the movie where, you get these um, these personal beats between, like the, the troops in the platoon, uh, the zoologist, uh, and even with like with Megan before, um, you know she gets infected. But um, it's it's like a men talking about expectations that they have to uh, uphold, whether or not that's necessarily legitimate but I think the legitimacy is um, varied in this movie. And you can definitely Mm -hmm. tell who truly feels this way and who is just, who makes these claims without any basis whatsoever. Yeah. Um, And that just goes towards like the, the strength of the characterization where everyone's going to have like a different favorite character, except, Mm -hmm. um, it's spoon for everyone pretty much. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's a really uh, smart and uh, really well mixed narrative. Um, the, the social commentary is just right underneath the surface. Like you don't have to dig too hard to get to it, but if you don't notice it, um, I, you probably never will. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's, yeah. it's a very strong movie. Um, it suffers a little bit, narratively, but you know it's it's a good decent time. Like I would, I would say for me, it's probably around uh, three and a half stars, like film wise. Cool,
1: cool, love it. Thank you so much. I've I've, I've a lot to say, uh, and and I will hold on to it. But I I appreciate that so much, um, Molly. Uh, I know this is a film that you are fond of, and uh, would you like to give your review?
2: Yeah. Um, assuming I'm counting the gender snaps trilogy as one film, then dog soldiers is my second favorite werewolf film. Mm
1: -hmm. (laughs) Uh,
2: and I, there's so much to like about it because on the surface, it is just a really fun, funny action packed werewolf film. Uh, this movie is probably tied with late phases for my favorite werewolf creature design. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: And I love all that on the surface. It's super fun. I think the characters are great. I think that they do a really good job of really early on establishing the different personalities between all these different characters. So even though they're dressed similarly and some of them even look a little bit too similar for me. So when I'm looking at them, I don't know who I'm looking at, (laughs) Um, but I feel like their personalities are all so distinct that that makes it a lot easier and it it makes it easier for you to attach yourself to different characters. And Mm -hmm. like, like Andre was saying, having a favorite character in the film. Um, But what I also really love about this one is I actually, and I gained this appreciation by reading this fantastic article by one of my favorite film writers, Anya Stanley. She -hmm. did an article a few years ago for dread central talking about how dog soldiers is actually a very feminist film Mm. And on the surface, it might not seem that way because it's a bunch of dudes that are soldiers <laughs> that are yeah. that are fighting werewolves. And there's one woman in the film. Um, but she does a really great examination. If it, I highly recommend people seek out that article and read it because it's great. But I I feel like the easiest way to see that is the dynamics between Cooper and Ryan. Where Ryan is this kind of representation of toxic masculinity, and he's like, in the beginning when we first meet him, he he's giving Cooper shit because he won't shoot a dog, and, mm-hmm. which is insane. Um, but then Cooper is definitely that character where he he has these traits that wouldn't typically be considered quote unquote masculine traits. Mm-hmm. He, he's much more caring and he, he wants to try to save everyone no matter the consequences and stuff. And so it's interesting to see their dynamic throughout the film. Um, and I also just love the fact that it's these soldiers who are specially trained to be in these combat situations. And yes, they're up against werewolves, but it's literally just the family that lives in the Glen. <laughs> like, yeah, they're, yeah. They're, they're not specially trained in any way, but because they are these massive... Imposing beasts that are virtually indestructible. They mm-hmm. they're taking these soldiers out one by one, and it's I love that dynamic too because it kind of almost shows no matter how powerful you think you are, there's always something out there that's more powerful that could easily take you down.
1: Yeah, yeah. And um, it's it's just so always. much
2: fun. I love it.
1: Yeah, it, it's a blast. Honestly, like it's it's such a good. Uh, it, it's it continues to be a good watch that I don't get tired of. Um, how many stars would you give it out of curiosity?
2: Um, I would probably, I'm going to say four. And solely because I, in general, I love everything about this film. The only thing I even, I rewatch this movie a lot, but I rewatched it pretty recently in preparation for this. And I still am not totally clear on when Megan becomes infected. Mm. And, like, because it, it, there's almost an implication that she was infected before she met the soldiers, which I don't understand how mm-hmm. that would be possible, but I, I don't know. It's just, there's something about her specific arc that I don't totally understand, which is probably the only reason I would knock it down to yeah, a four. Yeah, sure. But other than that, I think it's fantastic. <laughs>
1: um, oh, absolutely. It's interesting. Cause it's, it's such a, um, Oh, well first of all thank you and thank you for for choosing this as a uh, an option for today's episode. Uh it's it's such a fun film uh kind of like you all talked about it's a very different take on the werewolf material than ginger snaps which is way more personal and and internal um and this one's more um you know high octane werewolf as antagonist um but it's, it's more complex than that, but that's kind of why I thought they would pair so well because it's, um, cause they're, they're really interesting archetypes for different ways you can, you know, put this beastie in your film. Uh, one of the things that I'm always struck by other than the, the fantastic werewolf design, um, it's such a, like a lean, mean plot, uh, You know, you have really talented cast who all went on afterwards to, to have big roles in various projects. Um, and so it should, it should just be like a sci-fi movie of the week because it's, it's, you know, there's very little fluff to the, um, to the plotting. There's, um, you know, at the time, a lot of the, the cast was not well known, um, but it's just done in such a, a overall well-executed kind of high-octane, high-energy way. And the, the scares work. The, the werewolves are properly intimidating. And it's so interesting, like you mentioned, Molly, to see these um, characters who are, you know... Um, I mean, they're all very different, but they're soldiers. You, it, it screams like machismo, even if as individuals they're all different. But then, like, they're overwhelmed by something beyond their, their control, beyond their purview. And I, I think that dynamic is really cool. It's really well done. Um, I'd probably give it a 4 out of 5 as well. Because it's... Um, there's some things that could have more nuance, more well-rounded development. It's not a perfect film. Um, but still, it's pretty, like, mean, lean, mean, aggressive, and and smartly performed. That it still kind of has staying power for me, um, and yeah, I love it. I think it's a really, really good contrast to, to Ginger Snaps, um, and I like that it doesn't focus on. Uh, I like that it doesn't focus on like the, the the suffering of being a werewolf and make it so like personal in a way that has become a very common approach. It's just werewolves scary. Um, if you, if if they're by you, you're screwed, like whoever you are. And I, I, I just dig that in the way it's done. Um, so I want to kind of, before we kind of dig into the, the deep dive section, um, I want to kind of talk about the werewolves as like a, like a folkloric entity, um, a little bit first. So it's, it's interesting because werewolves have, um, there are different types of shapeshifters in world mythology and werewolves are certainly one of the most common to be adapted in film. And they're, uh, one of the most common mythologically as well. If you look, there's like just very distinct world cultures that have werewolf, uh, mythologies, werewolf beliefs. um, the way that it comes down to us in film history, it's kind of funny because there's certain um, elements of common werewolf lore that was like invented in film. Um, But uh, so you have uh, werewolf beliefs going in, in some, you know, native American communities and you have werewolf beliefs going back to, to ancient Greece or to the Norse. Or there, there's, there's a lot of pockets in world history where there's the independent intellectual development of werewolf, like, 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 lycanthropic like transformations, which is something that I've always found very fascinating. Um, so, like, the term lycanthrope derives from the Greek uh, lithos, uh, wolf, and then andros, which is man. And so, it's an amalgamation kind of similar to the English term werewolf. And. Um, a lot of what we know in, in terms of like uh, werewolf lore kind of comes down to Icelandic sagas and old Norse in um, the, in uh, the 13th century Edda, which is a compilation of, of uh, a lot of Norse um, belief in literature. Um, Odin punishes the, the trickster Loki by transforming his son into a wolf. Uh, we've all been there. It happens. <laughs> um, and then, um, the, the saga of the Volsungs includes three werewolves. So there's, uh, Sigur's mother, uh, Sigmund and Sinfiotli. Uh, I probably butchered that. Sorry, ancient Vikings. <laughs> um, don't, don't raid my house. Uh, please. Um, and so like there's, there's a number of werewolf, uh, um, mythologies in the Icelandic sagas, um. In, uh, let's see, in, in ancient, uh, Greece and Ovid's, uh, Metamorphoses, uh, there's a story of how Zeus punished the, uh, Lycon by turning him into a wolf, because Zeus was always just being pissy at people and turning them into stuff. Um, so kind of a jerk, honestly, to be honest. Um, and, uh, and so you have, like, all of these, these, um... Different traditions, uh, if if uh, memory serves, both uh, Blackfoot tribes and uh, and pagan Irish beliefs have um, folklore about someone donning like the cloak of a wolf and becoming a wolf, and so um, you have a, just a, a lot of folklore that underlie you know uh, where like werewolves first cinematic appearance versus um you know like frankenstein and dracula of the early for example universal monsters they they emerged from very specific novels um when you're dealing with like the wolfman or earlier werewolf of london you have these um as two of the first feature length um appearances you have this this very flexible mythological history which is why a lot of those early films kind of invented certain aspects or focused on some things over than others um so that's really interesting to me um fun fact though uh one of the first werewolf films ever made is lost to history there was a 1913 film uh, the werewolf which was um, the first werewolf subgenre film ever made. And uh, uh, like, unfortunately, so many films from that era, there's no um, known existent copy, which is kind of a shame. Uh, or we could have done that one today. But um, it's, uh, so, so really like the, the first feature length one that we have is 35's uh, uh, Universal classic werewolf of london i think that's obviously it's influential because american werewolf of london you know is, is a very prominent werewolf film directly pulls from it in in some ways um but then they they it's funny because they made werewolf of london and they're just like we need another werewolf film and they just like forgot that entirely and made the wolfman uh, which is totally different design no continuity at all you know what are you gonna do um... So
3: confusing to me like that's always baffled me like they were like here's a whole ass werewolf movie yeah okay let's do another one
1: exactly like oh that, that didn't happen
2: well and when you look at the universal monsters they don't even really acknowledge the first one exists even <laughs> it's like no right. we're only going to show the wolf man
1: yeah exactly they're like we have all these classic monsters there's dracula there's frankenstein there's the mummy there's this werewolf specifically it's the only one that ever happened
0: (laughs) and it's weird too because like uh those universal monsters movies uh they go traipsing all around europe and it's like he could just be inserted somewhere as being another wolfman that exists like if lon chaney's character can exist um Mm -hmm. in this world where like basically anything spooky and scary could happen like why wouldn't we get two werewolves like can we get our pick of the uh dare i say litter (laughs) where we have like one really down on himself werewolf and one is just like i don't know i kind of like it
1: yeah you're like you know what i don't know it's kind of (laughs) great yeah exactly like uh yeah it is so funny that was like effectively disowned even to this day because it's you know okay so it's not i don't like it as much as the, the the 41 classic but it's not terrible you know it's not like uh it's just kind of funny that it fell so out of favor and you know i mean it's definitely like a more humanoid werewolf design
3: but it's not bad I, honestly like in some ways i like it more than the 41 classic like I I feel like Mm. the characters are far more complex there are some like really weird scenes in there but I mean there are really weird scenes in the 41 movie so I I just don't I'm so confused as to why they were like fuck that one only only (laughs) this one but I I do think that the relationships were more interesting the whole moonflower thing was interesting like yeah, I liked that. It was that. as opposed to this like oversimplification of the Roma lifestyle like why <laughs> yeah. was just yeah, and I'm sorry but the whole beginning of the wolfman will eternally put me off just because there was the the whole like looking through the telescope it wasn't a telescope but it looked like a telescope at at the woman across the (laughs) undressing or whatever and i'm like what and then he goes over there and is like basically very forceful about dating her and i'm I'm just like i don't oh okay (laughs) all right Mm -hmm. but then in the other movie it's like an unhappy marriage and just way more interesting to me but anyway
1: yeah yeah you know, like I, I, I like the Wolfman, you know, uh, like I like the, the it's use of the dynamic where like he comes to realize he has no control over this like monstrous thing that he does, that he abhors, you know, I think that's done really well. It's performed really well, but, um, I don't know. I think werewolf of London is underrated. I do. Uh, I, I agree with you on that.
0: And I think, um, th- yeah. this was something that, that came up, um, at the time, but, uh, Many moons ago, um, <laughs> Luna oh. and I actually talked a little bit about this on Twitter, um, and it, it it kind of spans saying that like Werewolf London is like technically and in more aspects than one is better than the Wolfman, and I, I do agree, mm-hmm. uh, but I think that because Werewolf of London came out r- relatively in close proximity to that decades like newest iteration of uh, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde was seen as too similar mm-hmm. of like a monster and not like um, yeah different enough to to warrant um, like a different treatment of of said monster and I think that mm. um, Universal decided to rework the character and then like they essentially just retconned um, that. Uh, werewolf of london character to what we have now is like the the tormented uh lon chaney jr character but they really just didn't give him very many themes to go on like other than just like self-loathing and basically just wanting to kill yourself (laughs) uh
1: yeah 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 Uh, I think it's so interesting too because they kind of did that with one something similar with one other iconic character Uh, but they just own the original film first and that's like the mummy Mm -hmm. right how the first one is Imhotep and then they made a series of other mummy movies but it's entirely different mummy (laughs) like it's Karis in the with very similar backstory but when you you know when they illustrate and they, and they um, you know, publicize their their monster history, you know, you'll often see the Imhotep iteration. But he didn't really get his due until, uh, as a character, until, like, the Brendan Fraser films. So it's kind of funny, too, how they they have this history of being like, well, all right, here's a horror character for you. Uh, shit, let's just move on from that one for, for various reasons. It's kind of a funny thing that not a lot of people really like talk about.
4: Yeah. I, I had to say that I'm not a big fan of werewolf in London. Like I've tried to uh, like it, but I don't know. Mm. Um, I don't find it as memorable or as compelling. <laughs> um, mm. Okay, I, I think that it's a, a little flat. I think that, yeah, the 41 version has its problems, but I think it, um does a lot of really interesting things and it establishes lore that we still kind of uh, yeah. copy um, and crib off of. Yeah. Um, so I think it's way more influential than what people give it credit for. And also I think it's really interesting yep. because I'm looking up, um, I think it was uh, Kurt Sodamak that wrote it and um, mm. yeah, so I was looking up to make sure. Yeah. Um, and uh actually, this was a um analogy for um like the holocaust um and there's like i guess he meant it as sort of like a a really subtle sort of meta text on that and you know I mean this was released uh in nineteen forty one the same year that um the u s went to um in, entered into world war two so um you know it's interesting when you kind of look at it uh through that lens also um so yeah um I don't know and there's just just really some beautiful uh sequences it almost feels like I so I don't mind when stuff is maybe a little um doesn't always make sense because it kind of has this like fairy tale kind of feeling
1: yeah yeah Um,
4: sure again Yeah, it is creepy when he looks at her through the telescope, but I just see it as kind of a harmless, I mean, problematic, yes. Um, But, you know, it's kind of like pretty tame as far as meat cutes go for the 40s. I've seen much cringier examples, (laughs) unfortunately. Um, But again, I, I, I see it all as sort of this just really almost operatic, tragedy um Mm -hmm. and you know i'm okay with stuff being heightened because it has sort of a heightened reality already so Mm -hmm.
1: yeah i I would say that like for me um i like the wolfman better but uh i i still would say that werewolf of london is is very underrated in my estimation
3: I totally um, agree. Like, I, I think the Wolfman is yeah. a great film and I, I have the Wolfman on my wall, but Me too. I, I just think that the, the film world from London is like, it could have been as influential. Just, it wasn't yeah. like, I think it, yep. it should, it should get the credit for doing a lot for the genre, or at least it could, it, could have done a lot for the jo- for the genre if people like had watched it i guess a couple years later. <laughs>
4: but, yeah.
3: But because i don't think that it's missing all that much, but i do think that yeah. the wolfman is a great film and it is operatic. I I it yes. i don't really have a problem with the film at all. I just i lament the the missed opportunity for
1: the, the other one yeah i mean we're we're seeing eye to eye on that one i i do also think that the werewolf of uh, that werewolf of london deserves a little credit for being another spectacular uh creature designed by jack pierce mm-hmm. yeah. um who it's actually a really good it's just a different interpretation of a werewolf on film but um you know it's, it's definitely more humanoid
3: and the transformation scene um I actually like more than the Wolfman. Like there's that, there's a scene where he's transforming and he's walking. And as he passes each pillar, he's more trans, you know, transformed. He's more wolfy. Um, Yeah. And I thought it looked great. Like the pacing was perfect. I was drawn in. I like to this day, I love that scene. And I think that it it was it's far superior to the wolfman lying there superimposed,
1: you know. You you don't like it just being like a couple superimposed images.
3: <laughs> I mean, it's a fine for the time. Like I I I have respect for it, but at the same time I'm like the 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 like walking this like I don't know, pedestrian transformation as he becomes a wolf in werewolf London is just, I don't know. I I think it's an unsung transformation scene. Yeah.
1: I'm with you. I'm also watching. um, uh, I actually have on my second monitor, the, uh, the transformation scene. Now it is really good. Like I love the passing through the pillars. I love that it's prefigured by his very chill cat, like freaking the fuck out. (laughs) Yeah. and I don't know that the end design looks really good. It does. Um, it really does. Uh, Stiller. Um, I do want to uh, pivot, give us a, a little time. Um, you know, we, we always end with a deep dive portion where we can kind of talk about whatever the hell we want, um, including, you know, any themes or um, other aspects of the film or the films, their, their creatures, etc. cetera that are interesting or mean something to us so does anyone have anything that um about werewolves these films other films uh that you haven't mentioned yet or that have been kind of like burning in your brain there's
0: um something that that i did want to bring up that kind of helps bridge folkloric history as like the history of the stories versus um, real-world events, or at least agreed-upon real-world events that might have, like, birthed the, the fascination with uh, the legend of werewolves. And that's in the middle of, like, the witch-hunt phenomenon. Lycanthropy was a small subset of accusations made against fellow countrymen, you know. Yeah. Uh, and there's a specifically famous story about one such individual, Peter Stump. Uh, And he's someone who is accused of being a werewolf and the village or township or whatever, was largely in agreement of uh, whether this was like a mass hysteria thing, or if this was actually based on whatever evidence was accepted at the time, or if uh, people just really hated him and they didn't care what it took to just kill him.
1: Go that guy. (laughs) Yeah. Uh,
0: So he was, uh, Pretty much, well, spoilers, he was found guilty of being a werewolf. They executed him. I, I think it was a public execution where they they sliced one of his hands off. Jesus. And then was beheaded, I believe. Mm-hmm. And this kind of led into a fascination of like werewolf, uh, lycanthropy, this affliction, whether or not people agree that Peter Stump was actually... Um, a werewolf or if it was something else it was kind of like the uh the true crime phenomenon of the time which speaks a little bit to like how a lot of folklore is built on like semi-truths in a way where yeah. you always believe a story when it's based on some aspect of reality and then spun out of uh, either like fictional or fantastical yarns yeah Right around after that time, that's when folklore stories started introducing werewolves in that almost like Little Red Riding Hood um, treatment of, of the monster and like its dangers upon society, which uh, yeah. if you've seen or heard of a, the Neil Jordan film, Company of Wolves, it, it kind of like mm. uh, perfectly weaves that in. If anything, yes. I think it even has like a, a Peter Stump reference to it, but it's... It's like much later in the film because like the werewolves don't really come through until around that time. It's largely like an undercurrent in, in a lot of werewolf stories that have some basis in folklore rather than like yeah. a filmic version of it. And I, I think um, The Howling actually makes a Peter Stump reference where one of the characters, one of the main characters, and it's been a little while since I've seen The Howling, but there is one mm-hmm. that's actually missing a hand who is a werewolf in that society. And um, he's, I think, alluded to as being one of the, the oldest members of that society, um, mm. which could point to like some people thinking that when Peter Stump was uh, killed, he he never really died because you have to kill a werewolf differently. And that's when all these theories and invented weaknesses and things that trigger lycanthropy sort of came out of the woodwork. Yeah. It, it's something that definitely affected how we see werewolves now um and it's it's interesting that it's almost tied directly to a uh, hysteria
1: yeah it's a uh, you know you, you gotta admire the the witch trials for having such like foolproof standards of evidence <laughs> like someone turns into a wolf at night and attacks the village oh is it coincidentally that guy i know you're always feuding with yeah <laughs> but um super legit though like oh okay well what's your evidence uh I saw him do it the one time also he has a good view of the river can I have his house <laughs> like it's really um bullshit but uh it does kind of speak to the um there's always been the use of these sorts of myths and beliefs and fears to Uh, associate with uh, quote-unquote undesirables and like demonize folks and um whenever in history there's been like a a wave of sightings there's always like a a a fear like a, a fervor you know that kind of is targeted at certain individuals it kind of reminds me of it's it's not exactly a werewolf but um there the so for like three years, there's this period of time where that there uh, a region of France was plagued by this thing called like the the beast of Gévedon. Um I'm Probably butchering it because I pronounced all the letters. Uh, but uh, for basically from like uh, sixteen or seventeen, was it sixty four to seventeen sixty seven? There were a huge wave of both deaths by um, a bizarre animal and also sightings of said beastie. And the, the sightings were, um, they they described the thing as, um, kind of like a, a weird massive wolf-like thing. So it's not exactly the same as, uh, because there's no, um, nobody to my knowledge ever claimed that someone is turning into a wolf but it definitely is like a historical wolf beast uh, series of attacks that um, uh, was said to kill at least a hundred people in the area and had innumerable witnesses so it's one of the rare instances because like like oftentimes werewolf uh, like like anthropy is attributed to um, uh. They like to medicalize folklore, right? And so it's often attributed to an actual condition, hypertrichosis, which is um, also referred to sometimes as werewolf syndrome, where a part of your body or your whole body basically like grows werewolf-looking hair over your your skin. Um, And so that's often attributed to one of the sources of uh, werewolf beliefs in different cultures. Although the, um, the wave of attacks in France uh, were a very different thing entirely. And it was so prominent that literally um, the, the king himself uh, hired waves of hunters um, to uh, hunt whatever the thing is and stop the killings. And they claim to succeed like three different times. So it's interesting how, um, there's all these folkloric, um, claims, uh, kind of like you're saying, Andre, where you have eyewitnesses upon eyewitnesses and, um, I don't know. I just find that sort of thing fascinating because we don't really have anything similar on a wide scale. We definitely have like regions have their cryptids, you know? Like your Bigfoots, your Mothman, your this, not the, the Snallygaster, whatever. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, but we don't really have this, the the same thing in in the states, or at least as widely reported because it's um, demonized to say you've seen a thing. I guess.
2: Yeah. I think what's interesting specifically about werewolves and why that you it's probably more prolific is that depending on the mythology, they're not werewolves all the time. Right. Whereas a lot of those other cryptids like Bigfoot and stuff, they're in that form all the time. So it makes more sense that we wouldn't be hearing about them everywhere. But what I also love about werewolves in general, because obviously it varies depending on the region and the specific lore, but in general, the way I look at werewolves and the mythology around them, it's a fear of the other. Mm -hmm. So... Like, even in a lot of the werewolf movies that we see, like, and, and werewolf adjacent to, like, Cat People, the main character yeah. in, in the original Cat People, she is an outsider, she's a foreigner, and depending on how you watch the film, she could also potentially be seen as a queer character, so she is an mm-hmm. outsider in this world that she's in, so it makes sense to attribute her with these, with turning into a panther or whatever she turned into, mm-hmm. and and that's something, even in gender snaps, even though they, they're they not necessarily the other in the more traditional sense like that, they are the outsiders within their school. Like they're the weird mm-hmm. goth kids, you know? And yeah. that's something that is really common in werewolf lore, really common in werewolf films. Obviously there are exceptions to every rule, but right. it's also interesting to see how, what that otherness is, has changed over time. Because initially yeah. it was foreigners were the ones that you had to be fearful of. So a lot of times they, they would be outsiders. And then it shifted to people with like different types of illnesses and diseases. And then more recently it shifted to, and well, not necessarily really recently, but <laughs> it shifted to uh, queer characters were often looked at as having lycanthropic attributes. And so it's, re- mm-hmm. it's interesting to see that shift over time and how people who use that mythology against others shift it to fit their own narrative. Yeah. And it's, I, oh, I love that, but I also think I love it for that, but I also love in more recent werewolf lore start. I mean, really, I think Ginger Snaps was kind of the start of this, but I love the, that it's specifically for puberty related to girls. Cause I think it fits so much better for girls than it does for it, young boys. It does. I know earlier someone had mentioned like the lunar aspects, but even just with, with women going through puberty, it is inherently more violent. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's painful. It's bloody. It's, it's not pretty at all. (laughs) So it, it just, it fits that so much better as opposed to young guys like you, they might get like acne and they grow some hair, but overall it's not as huge of a change that affects the rest of their life as it is for women. So it is interesting to see that.
3: And we have to keep walking through society looking totally normal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly.
1: Um, I, I will say though, that you're underrating, you know, how uh, wolf like and weird a voice change can be like, Welcome to this episode. <laughs> it's funny though, because like that's a, that's like a common thing in films, but it, it actually doesn't even happen to everybody. Like
2: with the voice cracks.
1: <laughs> yeah, the voice cracks. I don't remember ever having a voice crack, um, uh, but it's funny. <laughs> what are you gonna do? Um, but no, you're you're spot on though. That I I think it's just for many reasons so much more uh poignant um as a metaphor for female puberty and i think that the use kind of like i mentioned earlier of of like as a metaphor for male puberty is is really super shallow honestly it literally is just like oh the boys grow body hair <laughs> and werewolves get hairy like that's it that's the stop yeah of the thought process And so I think um, I love how much Ginger Snaps sparked different uh, evolutions of of the werewolf as like a cinematic figure.
2: I also love that that's something we're seeing more common since Ginger Snaps came out. Not necessarily all relating to puberty, but how this lycanthropic thing... It is something that unlocks, for various reasons, a heightened emotional things, falling in love, whatever it may be. And we're seeing it more, we see it with Ginger Snaps, When Animals Dream, uh, The Wildling, mm-hmm. Bloodthirsty, I would probably fit into that also. And it's, all of them are to varying degrees of success, mm-hmm. but it's, I love that we're seeing so much more films that fall in line with that general point of view. And because I, I think women as werewolves are also just more interesting (laughs) no offense to the all the guy vampire i almost said vampires all the guy werewolves out there (laughs) i also just prefer werewolves to vampires also just gonna throw that out there
3: (laughs) you know i i yeah i i completely agree i you've said so many um, brilliant points and um honestly i was gonna bring up the same aspect of like werewolf and lycanthropy being, like, the other, the fear of the other. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think, and yes, like, the the puberty aspect is amazing and poignant, and I do love how, oh, also, sorry, brain, weird brain thing, I, and you brought up vampires. All the Moons is not the movie I meant to say. The movie I meant to say was um, uh, c- crap. Valley of Shadows. Ooh. I don't know why those two got confused in my head, but Valley of Shadows was one of my favorite um werewolf films. Anyway, Stellar. moving back to what we we're seeing. <laughs> um, the uh I one of the things I love about Good Manners is that it is it is about this like werewolfism in the body of a woman who is also queer and
2: mm-hmm.
3: it is such a powerful, another powerful film that brings all of those elements into one person because you can't separate these things out of you anyway. You can't just be like, well, well this queerness part of me doesn't actually yeah. interfere with the rest of my life. No, it's like all one, right? And this, the, her journey in the first half of the movie is like uh, just her acceptance of like, well, this is who I am. I'm just gonna eat red meat and fuck my maid, um, and it then happens. <laughs> she's she has you know she dies in childbirth. Sorry, spoilers. Um, but like Damn then him. the entire second half of the film happens, and it's this woman learning more about herself through motherhood, like as a mother through her experience with this werewolf child Mm -hmm. and it's so beautiful and it doesn't bring puberty in at all, which I Mm -hmm. like it was really interesting to me that like it's so all these points about the puberty aspect is so salient. And yet there's this film that is in my opinion, just as powerful as cool. ginger snaps, yeah. but doesn't include that aspect at all. It just includes the womanhood aspect. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I I'm just blown away by that film. I, I needed to mention it.
2: Yeah. I love that one too. I think that also that film plays a lot into the, the otherness yes. aspect. Mm-hmm. Because obviously being a queer woman makes her quote unquote an other. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Unfortunately, still in this day and age. Um, But then even in the second half, it's this woman who uh, was a maid who is now taking care of this werewolf child and they are others because of their unconventional, how they became mother and son is very unconventional and they, they have to hide who they are from the rest of the world to keep themselves safe. So I, oh, I love that film, too. It's so good.
3: And there's the religious overtone, mm-hmm. right? Because of the neighbor or friend-ish person um, that is, like, praying over her son constantly. <laughs> and she's just like, uh, yeah, no thanks. I, I'm good. You can not do that now.
2: Which I feel like, especially for the region that this movie takes place, is definitely
3: abnormal. <laughs> exactly yeah so it was another aspect of this otherness um for for her and her whole lifestyle i just uh, i love that movie so much
1: i think it's also interesting too that beyond um well one i'm, I'm really glad you mentioned that film and it kind of speaks to how flexible and powerful you know uh, a werewolf is conceptually you know it, it comes to mean and illustrate so many different things and kind of like you were saying um, earlier Molly I also think it's interesting when it's used not just for puberty but to illustrate the more animalistic aspects of what it is to be human in a way Um, but to a heightened degree obviously because it's not human and we don't just go around like savaging shit on average you know in a way that a werewolf does hopefully most of us um but it's uh it's cat people even though it's not a werewolf it's were panther um is uh, is a really great illustration of of that uh conceptual usage in that uh what they attribute it to or, or the characteristics that are attributed to it are like oh yeah well she comes from like like your, You've both been saying, you know, these are outsiders. You know, she comes from this obscure European lineage, where people transform into a, a beast. In her case, a werepanther, Panther when they're angry or aroused. <laughs> the two very, very different things, um, but they're both different, like yet similar. Different than similar, yeah. They're both like connected to our animalistic, our more. Um, you know, our, our hardwired, um, pre-civilized instincts. You know, and they're
2: the harder emotions for us to control as well. So it yes. makes sense that that would yes. be when that side of yourself comes out because you're not as in control of yourself.
1: Exactly, and so I, I think it's uh, so conceptually interesting when uh, how well uh, where like lycanthropy, like, like werewolves are used to to explore that territory in a way that um you know vampires aren't because vampires are predators but they're very willful they're they're it's kind of treated in many cases as you know they're predatory but in a human way you know like in a serial killer way versus werewolves are like are id you know uh, gone amok yeah
2: it's more with vampires it's more malicious intent
1: and yes. werewolves,
2: it's it's just in their nature; they can't help it.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's like um, you know they they are they're just a cat, and the, uh, the, the their target is you know a laser pointer. <laughs> they can't help it, you know. It's it's it's. Uh, I, I now I have dogs, and I, I used to have a cat, and it's so interesting to me to watch the differences in, in how they approach hunting mode. <laughs> you know. Because dogs like make a choice, you know, like they'll bark and they'll respond. But like, you know, you can watch them weigh it sometimes. Um, but then for a cat, you know, they like 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 attract a switches in their little head and you can watch it override their body. And that's more like mm-hmm. what a werewolf is like as a predator. Mm-hmm. I think it's interesting. Is there anything else that anyone else uh, that has been dying to say, or or do you think because we've we've covered quite a lot that I find fascinating?
2: This might be kind of a weird segue, but I
1: segues are just weird on their own.
2: I just wanted to add that I love some of the old wives' tales for how to detect if someone is a werewolf. Ooh. Um, I think in in The Company of Wolves, they, they mention them, but the two main ones are if someone had a unibrow, mm-hmm. they could be a werewolf, <laughs> yeah. and if their ring finger is longer than their middle finger, oh, yeah, that's, that one. was a sign that they were a werewolf as well. And it's just, Ooh. it's so random, like, this is, again, it kind of goes back to biology, but why would it, a unibrow of all things <laughs> mean yeah. that they were a werewolf? <laughs> It just doesn't make sense, so, and I love it. Right. It's just, I'm sure the, the people that came up with this were like, I know someone with a unibrow who has a ring finger longer than the middle finger, and I want to fuck them over.
1: Yeah, like, I yeah. do not trust Becky, guys. Um, Becky. <laughs> Becky. Is- Becky the werewolf. Becky the werewolf. I don't trust her. Um, you know, uh, one ring finger. Creepy. Um, <laughs>
0: That'd be interesting, though. Like, if if someone actually took those old wives' tales and, like, spun that into a a werewolf narrative where that person has hidden all aspects of that, like, they shave the unibrow and, like, they actually sever their own ring finger to make it seem a little bit more mysterious, Uh, but, like, are legitimately a werewolf, like, as if those were all 100% true, and they knew it. Yeah, they're
1: like... a. Yeah, exactly. Like our village is being attacked by a werewolf. Definitely not. Definitely not me. I sure have an
0: alibi. his tail behind? His coat. He's seen... like, Well, it's not me. Yeah,
1: exactly.
2: So basically, if you see someone that does not have a ring finger on either hand, they're probably a werewolf.
1: <laughs> You're like, wait a minute. That's very specific to be, be missing
2: werewolf. just those
1: fingers. <laughs>
0: <laughs> or like an assassin from Assassin's Creed, if anyone knows that.
1: Hey, could be. Could be. <laughs> uh no I, I um yeah it's so funny how many like odd things they uh folks made to like determine if someone's a werewolf or a vampire or a witch yeah. and it's just the most ridiculous shit ever like uh someone is a witch if um if we say she is i don't know
2: like i think one of the big ones was if she had just like a mole or a birthmark which virtually every person in the world Mm -hmm.
1: has yeah Yeah.
0: or like some vague connection to nature it's like oh you you like spending time outdoors um okay witch
1: (laughs) yeah exactly like you don't like just taking orders from your husband wait (laughs) oh you call yourself
0: independent Hmm. let's think about that
1: yeah like like how to tell if a woman in a village is a witch is there is the is the village led by a dude who's a complete douchebag then mm. she's not a witch but someone's going to say she is like
3: <laughs> and that i mean that was a prime time for oh their land is really nice they're definitely a witch
1: yeah exactly mm-hmm. like they had a really great harvest um which means they must have been consorting with satan mm-hmm. but Co- i will take that harvest off their hands for the community <laughs>
4: Yeah,
1: it's like like the uh, that's why I'm glad Andre you you mentioned the uh the the subset of witch trials where they were you know targeting people for being a werewolf because it's exactly the same thing they're just making shit up as they went.
0: Yeah, I actually have a correction on that because I was paraphrasing and I thought I had my notes next to me, mm-hmm. but I did not. Um, I found them and they are actually it's a lot more visceral and detailed than I remembered. Um, so the the trial of Stump. Was like uh, pretty intense. So th- they had him stretched out on a rack. He confessed to having practiced uh, black magic since he was twelve years old. So uh, there goes your puberty allegory. Mm. Um, he claims that the devil had given him like this magical belt that, like, when he puts it on, he turns into a werewolf, but when he takes it off, he turns back human. Which um, I think. It's- would be belt. uh supremely useful. And I want one of those.
1: Yeah, that is an awesome. Yeah, where can I get yeah. one?
0: Seriously.
2: <laughs> Take all my Do they sell that at Target? Uh
0: I think it's a hot topic exclusive.
2: <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs>
0: um so apparently for for about like twenty five years, uh he's been described as this like insatiable bloodsucker. And then thusly labeled a serial killer, which I think Jeff, you mentioned like a serial killer kind of thing, but mm-hmm. as pertaining to vampires because of their yeah. choice of malicious intent. Yeah. He usually just fed off of like goats, lambs, sheep, the, the kind of like livestock mm-hmm. animal.
1: Um, mm-hmm.
0: But it also bled into uh pun intended men, women, and children. Uh, so mm. when he was, being tortured or rather being threatened with torture. uh, He confessed to the killing and eating of uh, 14 children and two pregnant women, which uh, the fetuses, he apparently ripped from their wombs and quote, ate their hearts panting hot and raw, uh, which he later described Mm. as also quote dainty morsels, which I love. (laughs) (laughs) Um. One of those kids was his own son, which some people, I don't know how much of this is, like, accusation, hearsay, or, quote-unquote, like, a self-confession, thus, um, like, put into the filter of paraphrasing. He apparently devoured his own son's brain, which, this guy's all over the place.
1: Yeah, he's, like, super MO inconsistent. Yeah. (laughs) Like, I mean, not to... Not to say there's a right way to do that gross shit, but like, come on, man. If you're going to be a fucking weirdo, like put a little thought into it.
0: And like he throws so much more into this where like he confesses that he had intercourse with a succubus sent to him by the devil and that he had an incestuous relationship with his daughter. And Mm. so this was all like evidence that apparently he gave willingly during torture. Um, well, I guess not willingly in that case, but yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> uh, that he gave during the torture. And that's when the decision was made to to end his life, at least in this like this witch trial thing. Sure. Uh, but the the stump thing, apparently he had already had a missing hand and oh. people had seen like a wolf or what they would describe as a werewolf, some kind of creature beast out there that was missing a paw. And it happened to be the same the same one, left or right, I can't remember, uh, hmm. as Peter Stump. So <laughs> they connected the two dots that they had, and um, was like, all right, it's him. Like, and that's, uh, that's, that's when it legit. ballooned. Yeah, and uh, there was another uh, fictional property that I was going to bring up that pertains specifically to that, and that's uh, Stephen King's Cycle of the Werewolf, where hmm. um, the kid makes the same correlation to a werewolf that has been like stalking him, uh, to, and this is a spoilers for the, the short story and the movie silver bullet, but, uh, the priest in the town who ends up being, uh, the werewolf. And he knows it because, uh, he shot the wolf's eye out with like, um, fireworks that he was given hmm. as a gift for like the 4th of July. Yeah, um, and when he goes to visit, the local church, the priest or pastor, whatever, opens the door and um, one of his eyes is missing. So he immediately knows who he is. And the priest knows who the kid is because apparently he like can recall what he did as a wolf. Okay. Uh, so there's a little bit of a callback there. Uh, and the correlation between Peter Stump's mostly quote unquote historical trial actually connects a little bit more to the howling. Where um, Robert Picardo's character is decidedly a serial killer, and yeah, like, yeah, yeah. while he might not have eaten fetuses at any point, uh, he's almost just as monstrous, and like mm-hmm. chooses that. Yeah, there's a stronger correlation there between like uh, a predator, like an actual predator, yeah. before this transformation occurs, where you take that mm-hmm. that aspect of. Uh, intent to harm, and then you're given like this otherworldly tool to expand in the world to you know do yeah. your own dastardly deeds. Which um, I wouldn't be surprised if Joe Dante inserted a scene where he like kills a pregnant woman and as a wolf, like just you know, starts to snack on a dainty morsel. <laughs>
1: Oh man, that's not gonna leave my head anytime uh, soon. So yeah.
0: <laughs> so yeah, there's a lot of stuff that was missing there and I wanted to throw it back in.
1: I'm glad you did. Um I mean, I kind of wish I did know that Danny Morsel bit, but I'm glad that I do in a different way. Um, I I just think it's so um uh Yeah, I, I think that for the howling it's uh so interesting to to establish the character like very unlike the wolf man as, as a predator first, because then um, it kind of heightens the tension of like, Oh, well this is scary enough already, but then you give it like werewolf abilities. And then it, it heightens the, the, the scariness, the, the danger. Yeah. Danger. <laughs> um, damn. What, I think we got through a whole bunch of stuff. <laughs> I'm so happy with how this episode went. Because uh, uh, I, I love werewolf lore. I think it's so fascinating. Um, and there's so many different interpretations. And they're so layered with meaning. And that's exactly what the show is about. Uh, so these have all been like great choices. Um, I do kind of want to make a werewolf film where um, Frida Kahlo was a werewolf. Because <laughs> <laughs> she embraced her unibrow. And if I trusted anyone, if I trusted anyone to be a werewolf, it would be her. Because she'd probably do awesome things as a werewolf.
2: It I would uh, probably just be pure werewolf orgies for her all the time.
1: Almost certainly. <laughs> and then like, wow, you're, you come into the scene like, oh man, this this is vicious. Whoever attacked this, the, these people in this room. Oh, but the the blood is actually really artfully composed. <laughs> <laughs> like,
0: Wow. You could even have the same creative team. Like you could just bring back Julie Taymor and bring back Salma Hayek. Hey, let's bring Alfred Molina back into this thing.
1: Yeah, exactly. Let's <laughs> Hear me out. I have a pitch. So, yeah.
0: <laughs> just bring real Evil Dead 2 energy.
1: Oh, that'd be flawless. We're like, how, it's like, well, I think a werewolf did it. Well, how can you tell? Because they used blood to po to do a really interestingly posed werewolf on the wall? Oh. Werewolf self portrait. Love it. <laughs> uh, my favorite. Well, I, I hope Katu blesses you, Frida Kahlo, kind of, oh, Whatever, whatever afterlife you're in. Um uh, okay, so uh gosh. Uh well thank you all for for stopping by and chatting one of my favorite folklore beasties literally ever. Um uh God, I just want to like queue up a whole marathon of werewolf films now. Uh, but uh, at that, uh, I think it's a perfect place to wrap because we've gotten to so much really deep stuff. But i love for all of you to tell the fine folks at home uh, where they can find you. Um, maybe, Molly, you start as our guest.
2: Sure. Uh, probably the best places to find me are on Twitter, at bloggingbanshee, and on Instagram at blogging.banshee. I was really mm. unique and original with my two different handles.
1: Hey, you know what? You gotta um, you gotta keep the brand consistent. It's true. It's true. <laughs> it's true. Um, thank you so much for for stopping by and for choosing two excellent films. Um, how about uh, Mike? Where can the the fine folks at home find you?
4: Hey, yeah, so uh, you can find me on Twitter at StrangeCinema65. Um, You can find my book, The Ultimate Guide to Strange Cinema on Amazon. And uh, I'm also on Letterboxd, uh, username Kubrick655321.
1: Love it. Um, Yeah, thank you so much and and, uh, folks at home. Definitely uh, check out uh, Mike's Geek Vibes Nation projects. I, I fully endorse them. Um, even though I have yet to be on wink, wink, poke, poke, um, <laughs> come, come on over. Hells. Yeah. Um, we'll talk about that for the show. Uh, Andre, uh, how can the folks at home find you? Good, sir. Uh,
0: you can also find me on Twitter. Uh, handle is, uh, at demoni disco. Uh, demoni is in the Italian demon disco as the Italian word for disc, but also just disco. Like mm-hmm. whichever meaning you want. It's, <laughs> it's true. Um, I also reside over at Letterboxd. You can find me there under the name Hamburger Harry. Uh, I tend to log something at least once a day. Um, well, once a day at the least. Love it. <laughs> uh, and I, I do write for, uh, Geek Vibes Nation doing films. I, I tend to keep on the genre side of things. Um, and from time to time, you might see me. Uh, with mike on his show
1: return of living geeks thank you so much and uh luna who has been doing awesome stuff and we're so glad to finally have her back um <laughs> welcome back thank you for stopping by today how can the folks that don't find you
3: oh sure thing uh you can find me at luna underscore Minui. it's m-i-n-u-i-t on twitter instagram and tiktok and you can see some of the shenanigans i've been up to the last couple last few months um but i'm back i'm here and i am uh now kind of hunkering down for the next quarter uh training and and preparing for more exciting things in the fall
1: so love it uh i look forward to seeing what those are when they when they shape up um and uh yeah thank you all for for being here and and folks at home you can uh, I'm most active at on Twitter at uh, Real Jeff Ewing R E E L like a film reel, and uh, you can find my stuff on uh, Forbes or Slash Film. And I just wrapped uh, an after show uh, on Severance, which just completed its um, first season, and uh, we are greenlit for a second season of of the after show when the second mm-hmm. season of the show comes out. So, uh, and otherwise, you can find me on the show, which you know that because you already have. Um, but thank you for stopping by and, and, you know, chilling with us chatting werewolves. Once more, I'd like to extend a special thanks to our guests this episode and to all of you out there listening. From the dawn of record human civilization, we've been fascinated by monsters and the monstrous. They've inhabited our dreams and nightmares, they've been our protectors and our villains, they've symbolized our fears and vices, our hopes and potential. Fears of creatures and the night that nourishes them were key inspirations and fuel for the rise of human civilization, the need to get out of the shadows, behind the walls, and into the light. In many ways, understanding our monsters is an important part of understanding our world and ourselves. So thank you for taking this journey with us, we humanoids from the deep dive. (laughs)